Everybody uh, who's watching online, we're thrilled to have you guys with us. Or if you're listening on the podcast, uh, you may not know. I had a friend of mine say to me the other day, he was like, we have a podcast? I didn't know we had a podcast. So, yes, we have a podcast. So if you miss a Sunday or something and it's easier for you to listen in your car, uh, you can go to iTunes or whatever other inferior platform you use. And you can, I'm just kidding, you Android people. And you can download, you can download uh, Search Journey Calway. You can subscribe to our podcast and you can get the audio of all the messages. Uh, but... Uh, for this series in particular, uh, if you want to watch these, uh, if you want to share these with friends, if we go through today and you're thinking, oh man, if I just wish they were here to hear this, uh, you can go to watchhappyseries.com or you can share that on social media. You can send that to friends, watchhappyseries.com. You'll find all of the vid- uh, videos of these messages throughout the series and you'll find discussion questions. So if you are not in a small group, but you want to gather together, with uh, some friends or family members and talk about this. This is one of those topics that conversation around this is really, really helpful. You can find all of that right here. So let's just jump right in. I want to start with this question. I wish I could sit down across a you know, table from you or you know, at coffee or whatever and hear your answer to this. I think it would be fascinating. But since I can't, you can just answer in your mind, okay? The question is, what makes you happy? What makes you happy? If we were able to talk about this, what would you say? What makes you happy? Some of you, some of you knew what made you happy, and you have forgotten what made you happy. Some of you never knew what made you happy. I don't mean to insult you. Some of you think you know what makes you happy, but it's not really what makes you happy. And again, I'm not trying to be offensive, but this is true for all of us. We live in a culture where there's so many voices around us. If we're not careful, we don't even realize we're doing it. We just let the voices around us define or answer this question for us, whether it's media, whether it's marketing, it's music or you know, movies, whatever. So we think a lot of times, oh, I know what makes me happy. But we don't really know what makes us happy. We've never really thought about this. So if you were to think about it and you were to answer it, what is it that makes you happy? I bet your answer, I bet your answer would be some form of or combination of what's, what's. Now, I, some of you are thinking, no, I'll tell you what, make, what makes me happy. My family, like, you know, it's family. And I know I get that. Like, that's good answer, good answer. Family's always a good answer. But here's what I would push back on. Family may contribute to what makes you happy, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. But you don't really believe, you don't really believe that family is all you need to make you happy. And the reason I know you don't believe that is because you're not content with just your family. You still, you're just like me, you still chase after some other what's. You still think, if I could get this form of a what or this form of what, or if I could get a com- this combination of what's, then I'm going to be happy. In other words, if I could get a Uh, A new job, maybe, if I could get a bigger house, if I could get a nicer, you just fill in the blank, whatever your thing is. If I could just get a combination of these things in the right place in my life, at the right time, then I would be happy. We all have this scenario in our head. If this happens, then I'll be happier. If this happens, then I'll be happier. But eventually, eventually, what we all discover is this. We discover that a happy what always leads to a happy what else. Isn't that true? There is no what that you ever get that leaves you finally and fully happy forever. We've never gotten a what that does that for us. Because happy what's always have a shelf life. Happy what's always have an expiration date. Happy what's always leak happiness. And some of them leak happiness a lot faster than others. But they all leak happiness, which is why we have all gotten a what that we were certain would make us happy. And we had said for years, hey, once I get this, I'm going to be happy. And we were happy for a little bit. 
And then suddenly we realized we weren't as happy as we once were with our what. And it led us to look for a happy what else. It led us to look for a better job, a bigger house, a newer car, nicer clothes, you know, more jewelry. Some of you, don't, don't raise your hand, give yourselves away. Some of you decided, I got a happy what? It's not working out. I need to find a happy what else. And so you started searching for a new him or a new her. Don't give yourselves away. But we've all been there at some point, at least when we were dating. Some of you have done this a few other times. Uh, I got to get a new him or new her because the old him and old her did make me happy, but they don't make me happy anymore. So I think a new one will. I mean, this is just human nature, isn't it? It's the way it works. The problem, though, and again, we all discover this, a happy what always leads to a happy what else? Now, here's my question for you. If this is true, if this is true, and you know from your experience, just like I do, that it is, if this is true, then are you really happy to begin with? Is it really happiness if you can lose it? Is it really happiness if in order to keep the same level of happiness, you have to chase another what, and then another what, and then another what? Here's what I would suggest to you. If an aging what diminishes your happiness, you were never happy to begin with. If an aging what, and you fill in the blank, an aging car, an aging house, aging clothes, an aging him or her, an aging whatever, if an aging what diminishes your happiness, you were never happy to begin with. I'll tell you what you were. You were excited when you got your what. And there's nothing wrong with excitement. It's great. I'm thrilled that you're excited. You ought to be excited at different points in life. But there is a big difference between excitement and happiness. And what's will bring you excitement, but what's don't actually deliver happiness. So for the course of the next few weeks, I'm just going to tell you up front where we're going. Here's what I want us to talk about. I want our conversation to center around this idea right here, that happiness is more about who than what. Happiness is more about who than what. In other words, happiness is not possessional, it's relational. Now, this is not new information for most of us, but how we dig into these who's and the kind of who's that de determine or define happiness, this may be new information. But just this idea, that's not new. I mean, the reality is all of us are going to get to the end of our lives one day, and you're going to be laying in your hospital bed, you know, up, up there, and you don't have much time to live, or you're going to be at home, or you're going to be in hospice, or wherever you're going to be, you know, happy Sunday morning, cheery thoughts, right? So just track with me for a minute. So you, we're all going to get to the end. We're not going to have much time left, and here's what I know. It's not going to happen. None of you are going to be lying in your hospital bed and say, hey, hey, hey we'll bring the wheelchair over. Can you get me in? Roll me down to the parking lot. I want to touch my truck one more time. You're not going to do that, are you? None of you ladies are going to say, oh, could you just roll me back to the bedroom one more time? I just want to look at all my jewelry one final time. That is not going to be on any of our minds at the end. At the end of life, you, you know this, we've watched this happen. At the end of life, who are you going to want around you? You're going to want the people that you care about. You're going to want who's and not what's to surround you. And, and, this is key. If you're not at peace with those who's, you're going to want to make peace with those who's before you die. I'll tell you why. Because happiness is way more about who than it is what, and it's particularly more, the happiest people understand, that happiness comes from being at peace. This is such a big idea. From being at peace with the right who's 
in their life. Now, there are three different types of three different groups of who's that when you're at peace with them, you're happy. I don't care who you are. If you're at peace with these three different groups of who's, you're always going to be happy. And if you'll start thinking about the happy people that you know, the people in your life, the people you work with, people you go to school with, people who are your roommates who are always, always seem to be happy, you're going to start realizing, you're going to start seeing this. This is true for them. First of all, happy people are always at peace with themselves. They're always at peace with themselves. In other words, they're always comfortable in their own skin. Happy people are always comfortable in their own skin. Happy people are always confident. Like, they're not arrogant. They're not cocky. They're just, they're humble. But they're at ease with themselves. Like, they don't feel like they have anything to prove. They don't feel like they're, they're inferior in any way. They're just secure in who they are. Happy people. Think about the people you know. Isn't this true of them? They are always at peace with themselves. Secondly, happy people are always at peace with others. They're always at peace with others. Again, you have never met, you don't know a single person who is angry and bitter and always fights with people, and you think to yourself, what a happy person. You, you don't know anybody like that, do you? These two are mutually exclusive. The happiest people you know are people who relationally are at peace with all the other people around them. But now this is an important distinction. They are not at peace with the other people around them because they've never had any conflict. They're not at peace because they've had just, you know, free sailing for life. And they've never hit any bumps in the road. Nobody's ever lied to them. Nobody's ever hurt them. Nobody's ever betrayed them. They've, you know, nobody's ever fought with them. That, that's not the case. They've experienced all the same relational dynamics the rest of us do. The difference is they have figured out, in spite of all of that, how to be at peace with themselves and how to be at peace with others. Now, there is a third category, and before we talk about it, let me just say, if you are here and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian or maybe you're not a church person or you're not sure what you believe, maybe you know I just don't believe in God, but you're here for whatever reason, we're thrilled you're here. I mean, part of the reason we created this place is so you'd have a safe place to come and just explore things. So you may disagree with this next thing I'm about to say, and that's okay. If I were in your shoes and I'd had your experiences, I'd probably disagree too, but just hear me out, okay? It won't hurt to hear me out. Not only are happy people at peace with themselves and peace with others, but I would suggest happy people are also at peace with God, with God. Now, I am not saying that if you don't follow Jesus, you can't be happy. I'm not saying that. Maybe a better way for me to say this is the happiest people, the happiest people, I think, are at peace, not just with themselves and others, but they're at peace with God. In other words, the happiest people, believe. You know what? I'm not just here on this earth to live and die and kind of accumulate things and go through everything. No, no. I believe that I have a creator who created me to have a friendship with me. And I believe I have a creator who has a purpose and plan for my life that's way bigger than my own. I believe I'm part of something greater and more significant and more valuable than just, you know, sucking air and enjoying what I can enjoy until the day I die. There's something more to all this. Happy people believe that's true. And if you talk to them, the happiest people, they tell you, I'm at peace with myself. I'm at peace with other people. I, I'm at peace with God. Now, again, if you don't buy into that, that's fine. That's fine. And I'm not saying you can't be happy and, you know, if you don't believe in God. But I think there's a component to this that matters. And over the next couple of weeks, I just want to make a case that, you know, even if I don't convince you, it's okay. I, you know, this will at least give you something to think about. But I think this is a bigger piece to the puzzle of what makes us happy than a lot of us realize. 
Now, one other thing before we jump into this a little further. Some of you, I'll talk to two groups of you. First of all, those of you who are Christians. Some of you are Christians. You grew up in church. You spent your whole life around this. And the idea of me doing a series on happiness makes you a little uncomfortable. And I get that. And the reason it makes you uncomfortable is because you grew up in a church culture or a religious culture that did not value happiness. As a matter of fact, happiness was looked at as a, as a bad thing, as a bad thing. So you grew up in a, in a culture where um, it was just, oh, no, no, no. As a matter of fact, you probably heard a preacher say this. God doesn't, God's goal is not to make you happy, it's to make you holy. You ever heard anybody say, preacher say that? Yeah, preachers say some dumb things. That's one of them. God, God's goal is not to make you happy, it's to make you holy. Now listen, God's goal is to make us holy, and holiness is a, holy is a big church word that just means we're progressively becoming, believing, and behaving a little more like Jesus. That's all holiness is. I'm progressively believing and behaving more like Jesus, and that is God's ultimate goal for all of us. But holiness and happiness are not mutually exclusive. They're not. Holiness and happiness are not mutually exclusive. God not only wants you to be holy, he wants you to be happy as well, and I will prove it to you, okay? He wants you to be happy, and the way you know that is, first of all, God, as Christians, we believe God created us with capacity for emotions, and one of those emotions is happiness. Now, why would God want you to be happy if he didn't create, you know, and create you with the ability to experience happiness? Why would he give you that ability if he didn't want you to be happy? I'll give you a little more convincing proof if that doesn't convince you. When you go to the most famous sermon Jesus ever preached called the Sermon on the Mount, it was the first big sermon to a large crowd he ever delivered. You know how he started that sermon? With eight statements that all began with, blessed are, or another way to translate it is, happy are. And he gave eight ways, eight things, eight behaviors that make you happy. Now, if Jesus wasn't concerned about you being happy, he would have never started his, most, you know, his first, most public, most pivotal sermon with eight statements on happiness. But for Christians, it's hard for us to get around this sometime. And quite honestly, it's, it's kind of sad, but Christians don't necessarily even have the reputation of being happy people all the time, do they? You've been to some churches, maybe you grew up in some churches where you looked around and you're like, nah, nobody's happy here. And they said, oh yeah, we're happy. And you're like, well, tell your face because nobody can tell you're happy here, right? You remember, you remember this song? Some of you, you'll, if you grew up in church, you're going to understand this. You remember this song, if you're happy and you know it? You guys remember that? If you're happy, you did this with, as kids, if you're, yeah, people are clapping in the crowd. Yes. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. You don't actually have to play. Yeah, okay, there we go. There we go. That was not planned, but come on, yeah, you can participate. You know, you can, you can fill this in with whatever you want. Clap your hands, you know, spin around, you know, whatever. You can do all kinds of things. Some of you grew up in churches where when you started to sing this song, if you're happy and you know it, somebody immediately shouted out, repent, repent. No, 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 you can't be happy. I'm telling you, I have had conversations with people who actually believe, well, if you're happy, it must be, mean that you're sinning. You should stop can't be happy and follow Jesus. You're going to be happy when you're doing the wrong things. It's like, stop. And you're like, what are you kidding? You know, who are you kidding? This is not the way it works. But Christians sometimes believe this. So if you're a Christian, all I want you to understand is this. If it makes you a little uncomfortable and you're like, well, that seems kind of shallow to talk about happiness, track with me for the next three weeks. It is anything, it is anything but shallow. As you're going to see today, it is at the very core, it is at the very core of what Jesus taught. Some of you, now some of you, you actually walked away from church. You left church because of this kind of mentality. You left church because of it. And I get that and I understand that. But I'm telling you, as you're about to see, 
God wants you to be happy. And what makes you happy is when you're at peace with yourself. What makes you happy is when you're at peace with others. And what makes you happy, I would suggest, is when you are at peace with God. And I didn't make that up. Jesus taught that. There are four Gospels that give us eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. Four different accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four guys who wrote them. And in Matthew's account, Matthew tells us that one day Jesus was having a conversation, actually a very public conversation with a large crowd of people around him, uh, with some of the religious leaders there in Jerusalem. And if you don't know much about the Gospels, the religious leaders were always trying to catch Jesus, trick Jesus, discredit Jesus, because he threatened their power, and he, you know, they didn't like what he taught, and they didn't like how he empowered the average person to follow God. So there was all this conflict and friction between Jesus and religious leaders. So they would often send people, they didn't like the influence he had with crowds, so they would often send people to try to do something that would trick Jesus into discrediting himself with the crowds. And they had sent a group of people who had tried this, and Jesus was so brilliant, he, he always sidestepped these traps, and so he didn't fall for it. But there was an expert in the law, is what Matthew tells us uh, he was, basically a religious leader who was an expert in following all the different laws of Moses that the Jewish people followed. And when he saw that Jesus sidestepped this attempt, he had an idea for how to trap Jesus. So he asked Jesus a question that is a no-win question. He asked Jesus a question not because he wanted to know the information, but he asked him because he was pretty certain Jesus would answer it in a way that would alienate people in the crowd. You, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you ever been asked a question that was a no-win question? Like, you knew no matter how I answer, this isn't going to end well. No matter how I answer, somebody's going to be mad at me. Uh, case in point, if I walked up to you today and said, hey, who'd you vote for in the election? That is called a no-win question, isn't it? Like, somebody around's not going to be happy. So you just don't answer those questions. Well, this is one of those kinds of questions that this guy asked Jesus. But what I love about this is Jesus takes a question that was intended to trap him. He turns it around. And he teaches us what will make us happy in life. Now, this is a familiar passage. If you grew up in church, you've heard this. But maybe you've never looked at this passage from this perspective and this point of view. So here's how Matthew tells us the conversation went. Matthew 22, verse 35. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him, talking about Jesus, with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? This was his way of saying, hey, Jesus, which one's God's favorite law? And now that's a trick question because the law of Moses and the Jewish laws are about 613 of them. Can you imagine? It's like when, if you're a parent, somebody comes up to you and says, what's your favorite child? Like you, there's not a good answer to that question, right? What's God's favorite law? That's basically what he is asking Jesus. Now, before we go any further with this, I want to point out something that's true for all of us. I don't care if you're a Christian or not. The reality is none of us believe the law actually leads us to happiness, None of us believe following the law actually leads us to happiness. Now, if you're a Christian, you're like, no, I do. I try to follow all the scriptures, you know. There are all these do's and don'ts, and I try to do whatever isn't taught in the scripture. I'm trying. I believe. No, 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 you don't. No, you don't. The reason I know none of us believe the law leads to happiness is because we don't fully obey it. And if we thought doing what Jesus said to do or doing what God says to do in the scriptures would lead to happiness, we would obey it every single time. The reality is there are things in Scripture that we don't think lead to happiness. We think they obstruct us from happiness. There are things that Jesus taught, and we think, no, 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 Jesus isn't the way to happiness. Jesus is in my way to happiness if I do what he just said right there. 
It's why we don't do it. It's why those of us who are Christians can be so hypocritical and just open up the scriptures and pick and choose what we want to do and not do. And there are certain things that are easy for us to do, certain things we think will make us happy, so we say, yep, I'll do that. And then there are others we think, no, if I did that, there's no way that would lead to happiness, and so we just politely try to ignore that, act like it's not there. It's why some of you, it's why some of you left church. It's why some of you left church, because you tried. You grew up in a religious culture that taught you to follow all the law, and if you didn't do all the do's and you, you avoided all the don'ts just perfectly, then you felt so guilty and it was so guilt-ridden, and you tried your best and it was not happy, you were so unhappy doing it, and so you just walked away, and you have equated for the rest of your life, understandably so, you have equated following God with unhappiness. And the reason you walked away from church is because nobody stays in an unhappy situation for very long unless they have a good reason to stay there. But as you're about to see, Jesus taught us something very different. Jesus taught that following him didn't, does not get in the way of happiness. It actually is the secret to it. So when he's asked, hey, what's the most important, what's the greatest commandment in all the law, what's God's favorite law, here's what he says. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first, this is the greatest commandment. Well, that doesn't sound very legal. That doesn't sound like law at all. That sounds relational. And Jesus would say, that's the point. If, you got, if you're going to make me narrow it down, God's favorite law is the law that's all about having a relationship with you. God's favorite law is all about the law of, being, of you being at peace with him. Because you can't love him if you're not at peace with him. So Jesus says, if you want to know, this is the most important one. You just love God with all that you have to the best of your ability. You be at peace with God. Now, at that point, everyone expects him to be done, but he's not. He goes on. He says, and the second is like it. Now, don't miss this. He says, whoa, I can't just give you one. You should love God, but I'm about to give you a second command that is equal to love God. Well, what in the world could be equal to love God? He says, love God. Your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Not only is God concerned about you being at peace with him, God's concerned about you being at peace with others. Matter of fact, Jesus says they are equal. It is impossible for you, don't miss this, it is impossible for you to be at peace with God but not be at peace with his children. It's impossible for you to, be, uh, to love God and not love his children. You cannot be at peace with God and not be at peace with his kids. It doesn't work that way. If you're not at peace with his kids, you're not at peace with God. So Jesus said, I can't separate these two because they're one and the same. They're equal. You should love God. You should be at peace with God, and you should be at peace with others. But then he adds two little words that are so important. He says, love your neighbor as yourself, as yourself. In other words, you've got to be at peace with God and you've got to be at peace with others, but Jesus says, there's no way you're going to do that the way you need to do that if you're not also at peace with yourself. You can't love other people the way you need to love other people if you don't first love yourself. If you're not first at peace with yourself, if you're not comfortable in your own skin and you're not secure in who and whose you are. You've got to have that. And you know that just like I do from personal experience. If you're not happy with you, you're never happy with others. 
And then Jesus adds one final statement that to the Jewish audience, we read this and we don't really understand how significant it was, but to the Jewish audience, this had to take them back. This had to cause their mouths to drop. This had to cause them to shake their heads and kind of go, what, what in the world? How could that be true? He says this, all the law and the prophets. So he's looking at this Jewish crowd who they revere everything in the law and the prophets. He says, every one of Moses' laws that you have, are our people we followed for centuries. Every one of the teachings of the prophets that we revere and hold so dear. All the law and all the prophets hang on or can be summed up in or fall under these two commandments. That every single do, every single don't you read in Scripture, every teaching that you read in Scripture, it's all designed for one simple purpose. It's all designed to teach us how to be at peace with God, peace with others, or peace with ourselves. That's the whole point of everything that we've been taught. That's what matters most to God. Now, I would suggest that if it takes these three things to make us happy, there's one of the three that's a cornerstone. If you're not a Christian, you may not agree with me, and that's okay, but just hang with me for a minute. There's one of these that's a cornerstone. And I'll tell you why. Peace with God enables us to be at peace with ourselves, and it equips us to make peace with others. This is it. Peace with God. When you have peace with God, when you know everything's good between you and your Creator, it enables us to be at peace with ourselves. Here's why this is so important. Because when you know that there is one who is greater than you, who created you to love you and who wants a friendship with you and who accepts you unconditionally and forgives you unconditionally and loves you unconditionally, then you can love yourself unconditionally. You can forgive yourself unconditionally. You can accept who you are unconditionally because if your heavenly Father is willing to do it, then it gives you permission as well. But if you don't find your worth and your value in whose you are, your heavenly Father, then you'll never be at peace with yourself. You'll always be searching for value and worth and significance. Peace with God enables us to be at peace with ourselves, but it also equips us to make peace with others. Understanding we are loved and forgiven unconditionally by our Heavenly Father enables us to look at people who do not deserve but need our forgiveness and our love and extend it to them. This is the cornerstone that makes everything else possible. Now, over the next few weeks... We're going to unpack this and talk about what this looks like. But this is the secret to happiness. And if you would just pause and think about the times in your life where you have been happiest, I bet it has been those times when you were at peace with yourself, you were at peace with others, and maybe just maybe you were at peace with God. Now, there's one other word that I need to introduce into this discussion. It's not, a, it's not a word we really want to talk about, but it's important to talk about. It's this word right here, the word sin, the word sin. 
<clears throat> now, let's talk about how you define sin. For those of us who are Christians, we define sin this way. We define sin as any belief or behavior that doesn't measure up to or meet up to the objective standard of God's character and nature. So, in other words, anytime we don't believe or behave or live up to the character and the nature of God, anytime there's a gap between our behavior and what, how, who God is, then we've sinned. That's what we as Christians believe. Okay, now if you're not a Christian, you may not believe that, and that's fine. And for the nature of this conversation today, you can define sin any way you want to, okay? So you just pick your own definition if you don't like mine. For sin for you may be just not living up to your own standard, because we've all, we've all been there. We, you know, we wanted to live up to a certain standard. We didn't live up to it. We disappointed ourselves. So you just figure out how you want to do it. As Christians, we think anytime we are out of line with God's design for us, we have sinned. But however you want to define it is fine. Here's the thing that's true for all of us, and it doesn't matter how you define sin. Sin always separates. Isn't that true? You just think about the last time you didn't live up to God's standard, or maybe you didn't live up to your own standard. Isn't it true that in that moment, your behavior separated you? Specifically, sin separates you from others. I bet we've all, we could tell stories all day about that, couldn't we? Sin separates you from others. Sin is never isolated. You don't ever sin in such a way that it never impacts any other relationship around you. Sin always separates you from others. It has a negative impact on relationships around you. Not only that, sin separates you from God. It separates you from God. Every time you don't live up to or measure up to his standard, there's a gap. It breaks the peace that you could have with God. Sin separates you from God. It's the whole reason Jesus came and died on a cross and rose again because he was making up for what we messed up. He was bridging the gap that we had created between us and God, that how our sin had separated us from God. He was, he was bridging that divide because every time we sin, it separates you from others, but it also separates you from God. But this is the third one. Sin also separates you from you. Because whenever you don't live up to your standard, you don't live up to God's standard, whenever you sin, however you define that, isn't it true that there's something inside of you that becomes broken? Isn't it true that there's something inside of you that's just, oh, I didn't even measure up to the standard I want to live by. I'm not even the person I want to be. And there is guilt that you feel. And that's not being applied to you from outside. That is driven from within. Because sin separates you from you. Sin keeps you from being at peace with yourself. Whenever you behave in a way that's contrary to your standard or to God's standard, you lose your peace with yourself. So, sin is a big deal. It's why Jesus came. It's why he died, and it's why he rose again. Because he knew that sin separates. And he knew sin breaks peace. Sin keeps you from having peace with God, peace with others, and peace with yourself. And so you got to figure out how to deal with that. Over the next couple of weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to dive deeper into this idea and look at how to deal with the behaviors, the beliefs, the choices, the sin that is robbing you of peace and robbing you of happiness because God has provided a way for this not to happen anymore. 
God has provided a way for you to be at peace with him, with others, and with yourself. But it's worth paying attention to this. And it's worth taking it seriously because anything that undermines your peace, don't miss this, anything that undermines your peace undermines your happiness. And so you can't ignore it if you want to be happy. So let's review. Here's our question. What makes you happy? What makes you happy? Let me suggest a couple answers. First of all, no thing makes you happy. Because happiness is more about who than what. No thing. So over the next few weeks, when I get up here and I say, hey, what makes you happy? I want you to say, no thing makes me happy. I think we should practice, or I might quit my job next week when it's utter silence, when I ask this question. So here we go. You ready? Everybody out loud. I'm going to read the question. You read the answer. You ready? What makes you happy? Hey, that was even with enthusiasm. Thank you. I will work another week in this career. No thing. No thing makes you happy. Now, let me suggest a second answer just to give you something else to think about. What makes you happy? Sowing. What I mean by that is sowing peace with the right who's. Sowing peace in the decisions you make. Sowing peace in the wisdom that you show. Sowing peace in the uh, uh, reactions that you have. What makes you happy, no thing, because happiness is more about who than what, but what makes you happy is sowing. And when you sow the right, right things today, you will reap happiness down the road. So, here's the question I want to leave you with this week. You don't have to do anything else this week, but just think about this. Where are you not at peace? I bet there's an area for all of us. Where are you not at peace? It's important you figure that out. Because again, whatever undermines your peace undermines your happiness. Where are you not at peace? And if I could add on to that, once you figure out where you're not at peace, ask yourself, why am I not at peace here? And have enough courage to look in the mirror. You don't have to tell anybody. Just for yourself, have enough courage to look in the mirror and be honest. And it may require you to ask yourself about four different times why. Because we start out by pointing the finger at other people. But keep wrestling with that. Where are you not at peace? And why are you not at peace? This week, figure out the answer to that question. Because again... Wherever you're not at peace, whatever's undermining your peace, it is undermining your happiness. And to be happy, you got to address it. To be happy, you got to know it. To be happy, you got to fix it. One last thing. For those of you who you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian or you're not a church person or you, you you don't believe or you're not sure, wherever you are in that, let me just say this to you. Here's one other thing for you to consider. If it's true, and you may not believe it's true, but just imagine for a minute. Assume for a minute, if it's true, that you have a creator who created you to have a friendship with you, that you have a creator who created you and cares about you, that you have a creator who created you and loves you. And if it's true that that creator who created you created you to be happy, he wants you to be happy. And if it's true that Jesus came to this earth to show us how to be happy, 
If it's true that happiness comes from peace, and if it's true that happiness is more about a who than a what, which means you need to be at peace with God, with yourself, and with others, and if it's true that Jesus died and rose again, so you could be at peace with you, so you could be at peace with others, and so you could be at peace with God. And if it's true he died and rose again so that sin wouldn't separate you from those who's anymore, then maybe you should consider following Jesus. Maybe you should consider choosing to take your next step, whatever that looks like, to put your faith and trust in him. Some of you, you may have been exploring this to the point where today's the day you're like, I'm ready to do that. I think that's my next step, is to embrace what Jesus did for me on the cross and his death and then his resurrection, to acknowledge and believe that I need to trust him for my forgiveness and accept the peace with God that he offers me because he paid the penalty for all of my sin that separates me. For some of you, you don't have to have magic words. You can just tell God, I'm you know, Jesus, I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to go. I don't, I've got a lot of questions, but I know I want to take this step. Please, please make me part of your family and forgive me. It's that simple. You can do that right where you're sitting. Others of you, you may still have a lot of questions and a lot of doubts and a lot of, yeah, but what about, and you know, you never had a place where you could really ask those questions or talk about it. So here's a great step for you. If you are somebody who's trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus, or if you're somebody who's just begun following, or if you're somebody who maybe has been gone from church for a long time, you're just coming back, I want to encourage you to check out our starting point orientation. It's going to happen at two Sundays from today, January 29th, at, uh, right in between the two services. And all you have to do is text starting point to that number, and you'll get all the info you need. But let me tell you what starting point is. The orientation is just a one-day deal. For about 15 minutes, you show up and you learn more about Starting Point, which is a conversational environment we've created, where literally, here's all we do. We take all of you who are trying to figure it out, and you got questions and doubts, and you don't believe, or you just started believing, but you still don't understand, or you've walked away. We take all of you, and we put you in a circle together, about eight or ten of you total, maybe. And we just take a few weeks to let you ask your questions and to discuss it all with people who have questions just like you. It would be a phenomenal, phenomenal opportunity for you to get an answer to some of your questions, to share your thoughts on some things, and maybe to have a better understanding of what it means to follow Jesus, even if you decide not to. So maybe for you it'd be worth doing this. I'd love for you to show up to orientation that day and just check it out. No commitment other than to check it out that day. Because happiness really is more about who than what. And you can't be happy if you're not at peace with God, at peace with others, and at peace with yourself. And Jesus makes that possible for us all. So, where are you not at peace? Where are you not at peace? Why are you not at peace? Spend some time this week wrestling with those two questions. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that when you looked down and you saw the mess we had made with our lives and you saw how our sin had separated us from you, from, from the people around us that we care about so much, from ourselves, you didn't just leave us to try to work our way through it. 
you showed up and you sent your son and you fixed it. So thank you for your unconditional love, your unconditional forgiveness. For those who are embracing that today, we're so excited for them. Just help them to understand how much you love them. And that in this moment, as they embrace this, you just usher them right into your family forever. Father, for those um, who've got a lot of questions and doubts, give them enough courage just to go check out Starting Point where they can process through some of that. For all of us this week, God, help us to help us to have enough wisdom to know where we're not at peace in our lives and help us to have enough courage to ask why we're not at peace and to own it. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys have a great week. We will see you here next Sunday. Been so phenomenally. Come on, like the way we rock it. So don't stop. Let's go.